Amen. Daisy's going to come and bring us our reading. It's 12 verses long, so it's a bit of an epic. The Magi visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you in Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you will become a ruler, who will shepherd my people of Israel. The Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star had, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Becky, and I lead the church with Chris, which means I get him to do all the work. So <laughs> um, It's great to see you this morning. I'm feeling slightly, you know that, some of you will be feeling, that feeling where you've been go, 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 and then you stop, and your body's like, I like this stopping. I don't want to start again. And I'm kind of feeling that this morning. Um, can we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift you gave us at Christmas of Jesus. We thank you for all the, um, the, the gifts we've received that are an imitation, a faint imitation of the big gift you give us. This morning, help us to hear your voice speaking to us about who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um. One of the things about Christmas is that whole getting together with wider family and friends. And I, very often at Christmas, and we're, we're about to go and see um, grandparents. So when we go and see the grandparents, and sometimes there's other aunts and uncles and various vague people who you call aunt, but you're not quite sure the relationship, you know, that kind of thing. And they come up to you and they say, particularly when you're sort of Daisy's age and younger, oh, haven't you grown? Aren't you tall? And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, well, it would be more unusual if I'd shrunk. <laughs> or sometimes if they're quite elderly, you want to say, oh, haven't you shrunk? But you're not allowed to because you can't say that kind of thing. And if you're slightly older and, and you're in your sort of 20s, then they might come up, oh, now what are you doing now? Anybody on the scene? Any wedding? All those wonderful questions that you're just like, mm -hmm. Um, but it's that what are you doing now question. What are you doing? What are you doing that we, we often get and I still get. So what are you doing now? Because a lot of my family aren't quite sure what we do. 
they're not quite sure how we're busy all week, not just on Saturdays. They're on Sundays, rather than Saturdays. We're not busy on Saturdays. Um, they're not quite sure how we fill our time. They know we sort of vaguely do good stuff. Um, and at one point, when we first sort of got into it, every Christmas we'd get kind of vaguely religious presents. My aunt had a tendency to go around visiting churches buying their kind of church mug. And so I'd have a succession of random church mugs that she'd bought and she thought we'd love because that's what we want, random church mugs. Bless her. Um, or, or sort of, anyway, so the, the random sort of vaguely Christian churchy presents that they'd give, which was very generous but rather odd. Um, but it's that who are you, what are you doing? Who are you, what are you doing question that we get from people who don't really know us, want to have something to say, and perhaps want to work out who we are in the big scheme of things. So the wise men, I just, you know, I love this story. I love this story for lots of reasons. One of them is because it shows me <laughs> um, how thick the disciples were. So they've got this story of wise men. Now, wise men coming from far off, they were not Jews. In a Jew's mind, there was Jews and the rest of the world who unfortunately, poor them, weren't Jews. Jews were good, the chosen people, and everyone else. And so, so this was the everyone else, the, 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 the sort of the pagans, the ones who weren't good, who weren't holy, who were... And yet they've got this story right at the beginning of these three men coming, well, all women, with their entourage. They probably wouldn't just have been three of them. They're right, a huge number, turning up at some point in the first couple of years of Jesus' life, um, coming from far east. And again, there's this whole thing in culture that said that was the bad area. And yet it takes the disciples until Jesus's death, resurrection, ascension into heaven, Pentecost, and quite a bit after that, before they suddenly go, ah, this thing isn't just for Jews, it's for everybody. And yet right at the start, you've got this group of people who in the Jews' mind were the, the back of beyond, coming and worshipping Jesus. And I love that. I love the idea of this group of, of foreign people, non-Jewish people, turning up at Herod's palace. Well, they, they'd read the stars. They'd understood something, and they'd been sent a message that they'd understood to mean a king was being born. And they turn up at the palace, and they kind of knock on the door, and they go, hello, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Now, one of the things that's useful to know is that's what Herod was known as. So Herod runs Judea for the Romans because they're off in Rome doing their thing in Italy. And so they can't really oversee everything. So they ask Herod to look after Judea. And they actually say to him, Herod, you're king of the Jews. That's who the Romans called him. That's what they called him. They gave him that title. So they knock on the door and say, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And Herod's like, you found him. No, 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 you're not the one. You're not the one we're looking for. Well, can you imagine? In those days, your, your, your hold on power was quite slim. And it only went as far as the next person wasn't going to stab you in the back. You know, so suddenly these people come up and go, oh, no, no, the other king of the Jews, poor Herod. I mean, he gets quite a bad rap, but he, you know, what do you mean? There's another one? Who, who, who? Have the, have the Romans changed their mind? Have they called somebody else king of the Jews? What, what's happening to me? 
no longer is he the king of the Jews. That's who he knew himself as. That's what he told everybody he was. That's what the Romans told him he was. But suddenly, three people, well, three gifts, a group of people turn up, knock on the door, saying we're looking for another one. And when they relook at it, they realize actually it's not even where Herod is. It's in Bethlehem, a tiny little village. So they go off. But they challenge Herod's view of who he is. You can imagine him waking up that morning quite confident, I'm king of the Jews. The Romans have told me. I mean, the Romans have got a big army. They know what they're doing. They've got soldiers and they've told me I'm king of the Jews. I've married somebody who's quite key in the whole Jewish culture to make myself even more Jewish. He'd grown up Jewish. We have to say when we look at how he lived, he didn't look like he lived a good Jewish lifestyle. He, he quite enjoyed partying and all that kind of stuff. So, so there were a lot of Jews who were saying, you're not king of the Jews, you're not Jewish. But he was like, no, no, the Romans say I am. They've got the sword. They know what they're talking about. And suddenly these people turn up and undermine who he thinks he is and who people are saying he is, which is why he goes on this panic. Well, if there's another king of the Jews, I need to get rid of him because if there's another one, it means I'm out of a job. And in those days, you didn't get severance pay and a nice retirement plan and kind of shuffled off or gardening leave like the MPs do when they want to get rid of them or, or it, it, it was it. That was it. There was permanent retirement um, and there was no future, no nice little house on the edge of Galilee where you could do fishing all day. It undermined who he was and that threatened the whole sense of who he was. If I was meeting you for the first time and I said, hello, who are you? Who are you? What would you say to me? I'm going to ask you that. If I was meeting you for the first time and I said, hello, who are you? And, and we weren't in this, let's take ourselves out, not a church context. And I was meeting you and saying, hello, who are you? What would you, how would you answer that question? Who wants to give me a suggestion of how they'd answer that question? Go on, who would you say? Who are you, Jasmine? My name's Jasmine. You're Jasmine. And who are you, Jasmine? Um, a human. A human. That's a very good one. A human. Good. Any other, any other ideas of how you'd answer that? How would you answer that, Hayley? Hello, who are you? Hello, I'm Hayley. I'm a mum, a wife, and a teacher. A mum, a wife, and a teacher. Three very good roles. Anybody else want to answer? Who, who are you? Go on, Vic. Probably, who are you? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> Absolutely. And I might say to you, well, I'm Becky. And depending where I was, so if I was in the school playground, I'd be like, I'm Daisy's mum. It's very funny. Once you get into that school playground, you, you lose your own identity. You are no longer, I would no longer be Becky, I'm Daisy's mum. There are still people whose names I don't know, even though I've known them for about 10 years, because they're so-and-so's mum. And they're in my phone as Caleb's mum, not their own name, even though now maybe I do know their name. So I might be that. I might be, in a different context, Chris's wife. Um, some contexts I might want to own him or disown him. I might say <laughs> Chris's wife. Um, another context, so if I was going into, say my mum was in hospital and I was going to visit her in hospital, I might say, I'm Mel's daughter. That's who I am. 
occasionally I'm wearing a bit of plastic around my neck and then I might be, well, I'm the Reverend Becky. And there are times when that opens doors. There are times when it closes doors, but there are times where that opens doors. So I have a lot of different who am I's. Herod thought he was king of the Jews, whereas actually there was a little baby born down the corridor, well, down the, the road in Bethlehem, who was king of the Jews. And the wise men went, and as Chris said, they took their presence. They took the presence of gold to say he was king, to acknowledge that he was the king. And he wasn't just, he wasn't just king of the Jews. Jesus came to be king of everyone. And he's king of us. But he isn't just king of us. He's also, God is our dad. When we pray that wonderful prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we say our father, because God is our dad. So if we have a dad who is a king, what does that make us? His children. And what are the children of kings called? Prince and princesses. It makes us prince and princesses. Our first identity is not what we do, but who we are. We are children of a king. Now, if we look at our own royalty, we may not see necessarily brilliant examples of parenting. Um, but we have a perfect father, a perfect parent who loves us, who cherishes us, who values us and wants to say, I love you. You are my child. So this morning, I'm going to give you something that we wear at Christmas sometimes. We tend to wear it most of Christmas Day. Daisy, do you want to? Um, to remind you of who you are. Chris and Daisy might give some out. I'm going to put them on. So I do apologize if you've done your hair this morning. At Christmas, in the cracker, we have a crown, and the crown reminds us of Jesus is king. But it also can remind us, so if you want to open it up and put it on, to remind you that you are children of a king. And as you go into this new year, you don't go into this new year as failures, as people who've made mistakes. Well, we all make mistakes. You don't go in as, as past it or has-beens. You don't go into it as, as orphans or people abandoned. You go into it as children of a king, as princes and princesses. What does it feel like to be Princess Lacey? Does it feel good to be a princess? No. <laughs> Are you not sure about wearing the hat? Are you want to be a wizard? Perhaps you could be a princess wizard, a wizard princess. Maybe, perhaps. We are children of a king. And as you go into 2020, whatever that means, and whatever holds for you, whatever else happens, you go into it as children of a king. So I'm going to invite us to stand, and I'm going to say to you, who are you? And you reply to me, we are children of a king. And we might do it a couple of times. Because if that's where your identity comes from, if that's who you are, then actually everything else fits around that. So let's stand. Oh, I haven't got one. 
Who are we? We are children of a king. Who are we? We are children of a king. And that's who we are. And that's why we're loved and cherished and valued by the father who is our king, the perfect father. So let's worship him.